Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood," she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Hello, present day Natalie here. Just wanted to pop in and say hi and to let you guys know we're working on a few series. We're busy in the laboratories. And um, this is one of two more Susan Powell episodes. I give you a pretty blanket trigger warning at the beginning of this recording. We don't get into anything too deep and dark uh, on, well, that's that's not true, but n- we don't get into anything graphic. But, you know, be prepared for a pretty horrible story. Every picture of me as a child, I look like a abortion. I'm <laughs> screaming and I'm red and my arms are flailing. <laughs> <I just laughs> well, what do you think you were trying to get something across? Maybe I was always screaming as a baby. Maybe that's why I'm a comic as an adult. It seems like those could be connected somehow, right? <laughs> uh, welcome to Someplace Underneath. I'm Natalie Jean. I'm Amber Nelson. Um, I don't... Uh, let's do a dance. I'm dancing around trying to prepare to give this episode. Yeah, this episode makes me feel like I have a lot of bugs over me, like crawling over my skin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fair. It is uh, the bugs of true crime, I would call it. It is the insects... Uh, it is the 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 bottom. I'm not even in, no. I'm not even going to insult bugs with this story. I'm going to just go ahead and put out a blanket trigger warning. Uh, there is just about everything bad that you can um, experience that happens in this story in this episode. I'm going to be pretty delicate with it, so it's not going. I'm not giving you the most graphic parts of it, even though it's still going to be pretty awful. So trigger warning for. Um, Domestic violence, sexual abuse, child abuse, childhood sexual abuse, um, just any sort of abuse really that you can come up with pretty much happens here. And so we'll talk about it, of course, but I'm again, I'm going to not with I'm not I'm withholding some of the worst details because you can find them anywhere. The reason we're talking about this in my mind is because we can take stuff that happened in this case, a lot of missteps and kind of put them into the scope of other missing cases that we will cover that maybe didn't get 
the amount of coverage that this one did. Yeah. And also in the future, if you see one of your friends that are kind of going down this path, or maybe they're sharing stories similar to Susan's, now you have a little more of a leeway to step in, or at least you know kind of what is yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, You've for sure. It. You can step in. You now know kind of what to do. Yeah. And I'm going to list off a little, a few resources and places that you can join us in donating to uh, towards the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. You can also get a baseball bat and then just go kill him. Yeah. Um, I give you permission. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, don't take that as legal advice. So I feel like <laughs> I could be implicated in the court. Uh, yes. Yeah. But um, yeah, I definitely, I know the feeling of wanting to do that to somebody. And certainly many times in this case, it's so bad. And I hate that this person pulled this out of me. I am a peaceful, loving gal. I like birds and sunsets and rainbows, but I hear the details of this case and I want to tie him down to a chair and beat him with a baseball bat. Yeah, for sure. And also, um, kind of as a whole beat the, uh, criminal justice system with a baseball bat. I'm going to be talking about maybe a few holes that happened in this case, and it's not to be specifically to point fingers at anyone in particular, but perhaps places that we need to work on criminal um, justice and work on how we handle abuse cases, things like that. Yeah. Because people made a lot of choices during this that... uh, they were choices. I can say that. Yeah, they picked a path. And usually a lot of bad things kind of start with domestic abuse. Uh, Usually a woman will say, hey, he is abusing me. Police, please help. And they're like, shut up, you bitch. And then uh, it's not that far off. from the And then he murders his whole family. I think there was like that bomber on Christmas Day. This was Christmas this year, 2020 or last year, 2020, and um, his ex-girlfriend, this is a whole different case, sorry if I'm confusing, but his ex-girlfriend was like, he's building bombs, he was abusive. Oh, yes. Please go check on him. Oh, right, of course, that guy. And the police were like, shut up. And then, of course, like a whole street block gets taken down. Yeah. Yeah. That Um, was weird. There are... There tend to be a lot of red flags leading up to one of the sort of tragedies that we're going to talk about, or that one. Perhaps that seem to not be considered red flags by authority. Um, I do think some of the because maybe some of the laws are a little bit archaic and maybe need to be changed and and are also a little bit sexist. Yeah. So, yeah. And if you'll recall uh, from the last few episodes, there's documented uh, documents (laughs) uh, of Josh being violent as a kid too. I mean, he, he, his mom and his aunt witnessed him being very violent. He tried to stab his mother before, you know, he had suicidal attempts as a kid. There was a lot of, there was a lot of science that sort of just got ignored because his dad is a piece of human shit. And, uh, his mom sort of was in that position within that community where she wasn't given that the place in the household in that mindset to override the men, essentially. No, it's like, you be quiet, you know, you be subservient. And as a person who was raised in a very um, religious culture, the wife just has to sit and take it. Yeah. And I, I do hate this woman, also Terry, the mother, because she eventually just um, leaned into being the worst. Yeah. So also kind of fuck her at the end of the day. But I do think that she was raised in a toxic environment. But 
Anyway, let's go forward, shall we? Um, we left off where Susan had grown basically into a, a real version of what I would consider adulthood. And to me, that's personally, I think of that about, about the mid-20s, mm-hmm. that there was some scientific evidence to back that up, that your brain is still developing up until that point. But that's, of course, a nebulous thing. But she she got into her mid to, to late 20s. And we you know, ended the last episode with her doing that handwritten last will and testament because she she could really smell the writing on the wall. Smell the writing See on the, the wall. See the writing on the wall? Yeah. What do you smell? Isn't there another I mean if if it's blood, you could probably smell like metallic blood on the wall. Oh God. Ugh. Well, she smelled the writing sm- <laughs> she saw the writing on the wall. Holy moly. Yeah, maybe if like there was like scratch and sniff stickers or something. Mm. Um so even though her strong religious convictions and even through the fear of being a single mother, she was taking the first steps to leave Josh. And I personally believe that Josh could sense that. He d- uh, certainly could tell she was pushing back a lot more and it didn't make him very happy. No, she's supposed to just sit there and be polite and subservient. She can't question his authority. Right. Yeah. Um, they fought all the time, of course, and she had talked about leaving before, as we know from her email correspondences and stuff. But he always threatened her with things like we talked about, like that he would take the children, that she, he would ruin her life, et cetera. So she always backed off. But now she's got her bearings and she realizes this may be a life-threatening situation and probably knows that she, it could be – she's probably worried about her sons growing up in this house because she really – you know, she was a great mom. And so at that point, it's, Susan seems pretty realistic about Josh's capabilities and he in fact had made other people uncomfortable in – the past in this regard as well, he not only would threaten her, but he had like a weird relationship with the way he would talk about murders. They had not that much in common, frankly, but Josh and Susan used to like to watch true crime stuff like Forensic Files and all that, that a lot of us watch. But he would kind of focus in on the parts about the mistakes the murderers would make on the show. Oh, he he would talk about how he knew how to dispose of bodies and saying uh, once he could get away with it. That's terrifying. Yeah. Because as a woman, I watch and listen to this kind of stuff to be like, what do I avoid? Yeah. And if I'm with someone that's like, see, they should have got a vacuum cleaner to get the blood splatters up. Yeah. I'd be like, all right, I got to go. Yeah. And guys, I'm sure the same. Most people aren't thinking about it in those terms. Doing it. We're thinking of avoiding it. Right. Check please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're like trying to come up with a script or something or storyline and you're trying to figure out how to work a crime in like that, usually you're kind of watching it going, oh no, how did this happen? How did the forensics go? But Josh was very openly talking about how he would have done all the crimes, um, which she said around people. And, you know, in that little community, you just sort of go, oh, hmm. Wow. Oh, so he, and that's not a crime. That's not any kind of evidence that he was just being, unless you mean, unless you count it as evidence that people are uncomfortable around him, then yes, that is evidence. Yeah. But, uh, but if you, if you know, if you, we get evidence for being, making people uncomfortable, then throw me in jail. I know. (laughs) You know what I mean? Jeez. My big mouth getting me in trouble. I don't think anyone in our friend circle would be on the streets. (laughs) 
Um, so her last will and testament that Sheehan wrote, which was so heartbreaking, um, that was in the summer of 2008. But as it was, she remained with him into the beginning of 2009. And that's not me victim blaming Susan whatsoever. Uh, that's actually really common. It's hard to leave. Yeah. If someone in an abusive relationship, and I'm saying this from first person experience, if you're in that a relationship and you make that light switch in your head, go, oh, I, I need to get out of here. It doesn't mean that you can simply go, well, go fuck yourself and put on like a the yeah. fedora and just walk out the door. Usually it means you're almost ending up in a sort of a weird game with your abuser where you're biding your time and sort of putting puzzle pieces together uh, to make an escape plan and also sort of trying to m make them not think you're doing the things you're doing. Yeah. And also like if they've beaten your spirit down, you don't think you're capable of doing it. You don't think, oh, I can physically get up off the couch and leave. Yeah. I could be homeless. Totally. I could be raped on the streets. Much worse could happen to me. Right. If that, I leave him. That is definitely something I think a lot of us have experienced in a abuse relationship. Do sort of end up in this place where you almost feel more comfortable with the abuser because you at least know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm the danger of more people like this out there is like the unknown is almost scarier, but she was really, you know, she was really starting to get that brave. She was already brave always, but that she get that last push of going, I have to go. And yeah. she was really working on it. It's probably the kids. I mean, the kids might've been the best thing to happen to her, unfortunately, because she doesn't want bad things to happen to them. Absolutely. And it, there was still a, a tiny fraction of her who was still holding on to wanting to make this work and kind of leaning back into the doctrine that was saying to her, it was her job to pull him back in and save him. Yeah. Um, she thinks if she gets divorced, she's going to hell. Yeah. Or she believes that, in hell. She also is told that no matter what happens, she's going to be stuck with him mm. on planet Josh forever. And then she gets a divorce and now he's all extra pissed off on this planet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then she just stuck there with him forever, with him being mad. Just running from him? God, no. what a nightmare. So early in the year of our Lord, 2009, the family made a trip from their home in Utah to see Susan's parents and Josh's dad in Washington, which is where they came from originally before they moved to Utah. So the whole family's still back up there in Polly up. On that trip, Josh made an unusual for him proposition to Susan. He wanted to take her out on a romantic camping trip alone while his dad watched the boys. While this sounds harmless on the surface, this offer was entirely out of character for Josh, who gave Susan next to no positive attention and certainly didn't ever ask to spend time alone with her. No, he would deny her sex. I mean, to me personally, it would be a reward to not have sex with Josh Powell, but I, you know, that's me. Um, but yes, he did it as a psychological uh, game uh, and just to fuck with her and make her probably to feel bad. Ugh. So yeah, he, he didn't uh, ever do these sort of things or offer these sort of things. And- yeah, he like had told his dad he was repulsed by her physically and he treated her like a maid. Like there was no time when he was trying to work on the relationship. It was always Susan trying to work on it. The other thing that gave Susan pause about this offer was Josh's insistence that his son stay with Josh's gross dad during this proposed overnight camp out. 
Susan's parents' house would most certainly be a better option. Steve was openly inappropriate, if you'll recall, with literally everyone. Mm -hmm. And he also had his mutant adult children living at his house at the time, including Josh's brother, John, who was known to walk around the house in an adult diaper. What? Or nude. I would rather nude than an adult diaper. Almost, right? Yeah. And it means he's just shitting himself. Yeah, he's walking around the big sack of poop behind him. I blow myself again. I go boom, boom. That means he has like childhood issues. He thinks he's scarred from being baby. That's the least of it, I'm sure. But he also, he was diagnosed, I think, with like, uh, I believe schizophrenia. But that's not to disparage anybody who has schizophrenia. I I don't think they were handling his mental illnesses very well. And also he was so crippled by the abuse from his father. He still lived with him and he really couldn't take care of himself. But he did this stuff almost as like, I think like, claiming he was like an artist because he do also would have all these weird paintings of like women being like impaled by swords and stuff around the house wow. that he painted. I mean, that's how he gains power is just making other people feel as bad as he feels inside. Probably. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely ra- a lot of rage. Um, so yeah. And Steve's porn was also just openly out everywhere. So no, Susan did not want the boys staying with Steve while they went on this romantic quote unquote camping trip that Josh like randomly offered. It's terrifying. I'm like getting goosebumps listening to this. Yeah. It's Where awful. do you go, Susan? What do you do? And I, no one's like in her corner. Not enough. You know, I really, I love her. Her parents are really great. Um, Josh's sister, Jennifer, is really great, but this level of depravity, it just, it requires a set, like a certain kind of action, like an irrational action. The the sort of things that I have gotten in trouble for in my life when I shouldn't have been acting that way, they should have been acting this way. Like, yeah, you get CPS services in there. This is when you we, you, you do call authorities. Well, when they yeah. have children and porn in the house, you get them in there and then you clean that up. You'll I'll, we'll get into this, but it, it, that is one of the great tragedies of this and why we should talk about it and why we need to keep fighting because the police and CPS, they've really had some bad, they missed the mark multiple times on this and and I'll, we'll get to those points. Yeah. yeah. So Susan said, that sounds great. I am so excited to do that, but no, I'm not going to. Um, nice. Yeah. I, maybe let's not do that. Um, so the question remains, was this to be his first attempt at taking her life? Sounds like it. I mean, the woods, perfect. Yeah. Perfect spot. And the kids are taken care of. And then bye. That's it. It Very specifically, he wanted him, the kids to be at his father's because he knew if Chuck and Judy had the kids, he would never get them back because Chuck and Judy wouldn't let it happen. So, yeah, it was that was the part that really, you know, tied that together that he wanted to go alone with her and to make sure his dad had the children so he could get access to them again. Oh Ladies never go on a, on a camping trip with a man and never go on a boat with a man. That's, that is what we're taking away for sure. Um, we're going to have to make a big list of places. You are not able to go anywhere with a man. You would think like maybe a man, you don't know that well, but I guess not your husband. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, especially because women are like, but I trust him. Like even worse, if he's your husband, he's going to (laughs) push you off that boat and take all your life insurance policies. These are great little nuggets of advice for giving out to the people. (laughs) Um, We love you men. We know most of you are are wonderful and great and not like this. But uh, (laughs) I think, again, this is about getting rid of the trees. We need to get rid of all this fucking nature. This is the problem. This is the issue. Too much nature is left. I just want to live in a Panera bread. Yep. This is me being facetious, everyone, (laughs) by the way, who's concerned. So we don't really, we don't have any proof uh, that that's what he was doing, but it definitely seems sus, you know? Yeah. And I think even with Susan's distrust of her husband, she didn't fully understand the depth of his depravity. So I don't know if she actually thought that was what's going to happen. She just didn't feel like something was right about Probably it. In the back of the corner of your mind, you always like, trust that little spot in your brain. Yeah. Chapter one, Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus. Hmm? You're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love chapter two. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. So, her father Chuck, though, was already at that point being, and didn't say to Susan, but definitely was thinking, I think that he's trying to do something weird. There's also an incident not long before that, that she had become sick for a period of time and she became convinced she was pregnant. Oh my God, he might've been poisoning her. So she wasn't pregnant. And the question has been proposed at least, was he trying to poison her as far back as 2008? And we'll probably never really know unless another journal or something is discovered that we don't know about yet. So this leads us up to the morning of December 7th, 2009. The morning Debbie Caldwell noticed the boys haven't arrived at daycare, which is how we started the series talking about that morning. So we went over that, but who was the last person to see her? Well, we find out later that it was her neighbor, a woman named Giovanna Owing, who had come to the Powell house the night before that Sunday night of December 6th. Susan was in the process of knitting a blanket for one of her boys, which is just the like saddest, sweetest thing to be happening the last time she's seen and she had gotten her yarn all tangled up and apparently Giovanna who was from the same Mormon ward as Susan uh was apparently renowned for getting yarn knots out oh yeah so I mean this is just the most pure shit of all time uh so Susan called her to come over and help Giovanna is an older woman a lot older than Susan uh, but they developed a friendship through church, and I think they were in choir together, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's also good to have a good matriarch, like a For matriarch sure. that's on your side. Definitely. Yeah. And they they did. They had a really sweet relationship. And um, so she, yeah, she came right over. And, and when she was later on interviewed, she had some really interesting things to say about that night. And I, you know, th- I'm sure she feels this horrible level of guilt, and there's absolutely no reason 
she should. She didn't do anything wrong, but she was the last person to see her. Mm. And really what she described would not, unless you knew Josh Powell very well, didn't seem weird. So for one, Giovanna noted that Josh was making dinner for the family when she came over. That's weird. Josh rarely to never helped with the housekeeping, cooking, cleaning, anything domestic. He didn't, he thought that was women's work. Also, he's just a lazy piece of shit. He's just lazy. Um, but it's not like he had a job. No, most of the time he didn't. Sometimes he did. Sometimes he didn't. Giovanna didn't really know Josh because he rarely came to church with Susan. And she didn't realize how out of the ordinary it was for him to be cooking. After a time, he came out and gave Susan and Giovanna. He was cooking pancakes in the kitchen and he brought out plates for them, separate plates. And he even draped a blanket around Susan's shoulders because she said she was cold. And oblivious to the monster she was staring at, Giovanna thought it was really sweet. He seemed to be doting on his wife. Like a normal household, you'd be like, oh, that's really cute. He's doing that on purpose because they got guests over. Yep. I, I do think that's true. So why wasn't Susan openly acting suspicious about this? Not Again, not victim blaming, but she knew that this was out of place for Josh and didn't really mention it. But Josh had a habit of swinging wildly in his emotions. And Susan had noted in emails to friends that recently he had been notably sweet to her and mistook this as a sign that he was trying. Yeah. Oh, my God. He had uh, in her journals and email correspondences at the time. What she described, we could consider like a sickly form of love bombing. Like she, for example, she had written at one point she was overjoyed that he had kissed her goodbye one day shortly before her disappearance. Oh my God. Because he knows what he's doing because he, know, he knows he's going to kill her. He's getting really close. Yeah. It's so, so sad on multiple levels. One being she was dealing with such a cold person that she was so happy that he kissed her. Oh, gosh. And, but also it's, it, it is like a love bombing situation where yeah. he's, uh, maybe not even a love bombing. It could have just been all set up um, to, to lay out the place like, oh, I'm a loving husband. I do this. Da, da. So, yeah. I mean, I could see, I could see it. I've definitely been in a relationship where I was very um, sex starved and like affection was taken away from me on purpose. And I thought like, oh, I'm not trying enough. I'm not sexy enough. I'm not yeah. attentive enough. And then he broke up with me and then I got into another relationship a few months later and the guy was like kissing me and was like, you're, you know, attractive. And I was like, what? Like, I thought I was usually in that case, at least for me as when I was younger, when that happened, I'd be like, Ew, gross. Get away from me. Yeah. Why are you being nice? But this is only a few months of being like denied sensual yeah. touch. I can't imagine years. She's probably just had like has no clue. No. I mean, especially because she was barely 19 years old when so they started dating. She doesn't know what, it, what it's supposed to be like anyway. That's why they all want virgins. All those, not all of them, a lot of, most men are good. Yes. But the men on the internet that say that they only will marry a virgin, they say it because they... They don't want a woman that knows what a real relationship is. Well, yeah, I mean, that that level of person is disgusting, uh, just like sad. And they're everywhere. They're all over the Internet. You know, though, they're it's a small fraction. They're just very loud. They're just very loud. It's like that with trolls in general. They're they're just so they just need the attention so badly. And, you know, a lot of them probably just have really bad lives. Yeah. Um, But doesn't mean that they don't 
they're not fucking annoying as hell. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, she, she just felt like, oh, like upbeat about it. Oh, the, he's, he's trying something. He's, he's trying to make things better in our life. And, and yeah, and so there's this and a lot of other things that suggest that this disappearance was not only premeditated, but meticulously planned out for months. A bit after Susan had eaten dinner, that pancake dinner, she told Giovanna she was tired and asked if she would mind if Susan went up to bed. She was so tired, in fact, that she sort of just left Giovanna in the living room. Oh, that's bad. She must definitely poisoned because Mormons don't do that. Yeah. Leave yeah. people in the living room. You're supposed to like have a nice time. Right. And Giovanna, she was like, okay, I, well, I'll just, I'll just sit here and I'll keep working on it for you. It was 5 PM and this was not characteristic of Susan at all. Like you just said, um, she was a young, healthy and very personable woman. She would have at the very least walked her out, would have like said, oh, you know what? I, I just, I just, you know, would explain herself. But Giovanna said that Susan sort of abruptly told her she was really tired and she walked out of the room. Oof. And yeah, I, I think along with most people, I would imagine that he probably drugged her food. So Susan remained in the house and she can continue to untangle the yarn. But then Josh appeared and he told Giovanna that he wanted to take his two sons sled riding. It was the winter and, and after 5 p.m. Uh, it's pitch black outside in Utah. She thought that was kind of weird, but again, you don't know what you're looking at. You're not going to be thinking, oh, he's definitely going to commit a crime right now. Yeah. Um, you don't know what normal is. No. And, and even if she thought it was weird, it's not her. But, you know, I would be that same way. I'd be like, okay, whatever, dude. Yeah, she's um, a nice Mormon lady. Right. She's not thinking, oh, he's going to go murder those kids. Right. Or whatever he's going to do. So, and he did it in a way that was sort of, he was, she got the impression he was sort of trying to usher out the door. Being like, oh, I want to take them sledding, but... It's got, we got to go soon because, uh, you know, to looking at his watch and stuff. Um, and so she kind of just was like, okay, I'll go. Uh, no problem. See you tomorrow or whatever. So that was the last time Susan Powell was ever seen again, living or otherwise. Wow. Or walking up the stairs to that bedroom. Oh, that's so terrifying. I can like picture it in my head. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really haunting. Um, there's a long extensive criminal investigation that commences here. I don't think talking about this, it's my intention to break down the facts from the procedure um, because it's really covered uh, other places. Like I said, one of the main reasons I brought this up, I want to focus on Susan and her experiences and what we can learn from it. Um, so I'm just going to kind of pass through the finer points of the case. It is very long winded, so I'm not going to do a very long version of it. But let me be clear thoroughly right now that I believe full heartedly that Josh Powell killed his wife that night in their home and then employed his younger brother, Michael, to help him dismember and dispose of her body. Yeah. There's a lot to say that. And that's, you know, it's not like a radical thought I'm saying, but this, this is if you're not familiar with this case, this is pretty much the conclusion most people have drawn, even though it's still unsolved. And her body, by the way, of course, has never been found as well, which is why we're covering her. She is still technically missing. Mm. So there are a lot of ways to look at the investigation that took place within the West Valley City Police Department. It's really easy to criticize their handling of it. 
but also acknowledged that they had their own extremely complex and disturbing knot of yarn to untangle. Oh, I made a metaphor. Did there you see you that? Go. I love it. Oh, also, this community seems like uh, the police sort of handle their own, like everything sort of handled in-house. And the police are also Mormon. A lot of them are. Yeah. There's a lot of insular stuff. There's a lot of keeping things quiet. I don't I'm not going to put that out there saying that, oh, this is because Mormons were the cops and they fucked up. It's definitely not what I, the case by uh, any evidence that we've seen. But I don't know if they knew how to handle this correctly. No, because this is a nice community that knows how to untangle yarn and probably yeah. makes a good apple pie. And I can see the... Um, Even though real crimes happen there all the time. All the time. You but just they wouldn't don't, expect. They don't act like they do, kind of. No, it's um, a very like, I mean, I can see wanting to be wholesome, wanting to have a good life for yourself and like creating a family and like a peaceful time. Yeah. No one's just like, he's going to go murder his wife. You would never think that. No. And yeah, it is touchy too with the Mormon aspects of things. People do keep a lot of secrets in there and, tr and, and it's part of a lot of their belief system is they keep things. Yeah. So it's, it is complex. For sure. But it doesn't mean that there weren't missteps. So I'm not saying I'm not saying like, oh, the police department was just fucking useless and they ruined this and they didn't even try. I know that they put a lot of work into this, but there were missteps all along the way. And we'll talk about them. But to have worked this out all in real time must have been staggering because I have trudged through the filth of this case so many times and I still have a hard time wrapping my head around all of the information about this case and everything leading up to it. Just Steve Powell alone is an enigma. Yeah. How people can just let this happen. Cause you wouldn't think, Oh, he's going to be a murderer until he, after he did it. It's kind of like nine 11. Like people are like, I can't believe the passengers just let them fly that plane into the thing. But if you're a passenger, that's never happened. No. Before. How would you know what to do in that situation? Yeah, You, you don't know. You don't know they're going to go fly it in the twin towers. Also, you even if you know, what are you supposed to fucking do? You yeah. know? It's like, we're not, it's not a Sylvester Stallone movie. Also, just like Steve Powell being the monster of, of that he is. Well, I'll, I'll go into what, <laughs> oh, Steve Powell. Um, we'll go into that. So it goes without saying probably, but Josh was a suspect from the very beginning. Not only is the spouse always the first suspect, pretty much. He was by all accounts, a weirdo creep loser who nobody liked and who acted unusual from the moment they were able to contact him later that day on December 7th. If you could base an arrest on a scale of one to 10, how much does Josh look and act like a guy who murdered his wife? He'd be sitting in a prison cell right now. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a, um, a clip of um, Susan's father approaching Josh and Josh just looks so he's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't know. And he just... I don't know. You just look like a little filthy, scummy piece of shit. Well, yeah, he spent a lot of the time after Susan's disappearance um, disparaging the family. Yeah, he was because I think people were like protesting on the street. Her family was like, find her, find her. And we'll, then Josh we'll was talk like, about that. I know what you're talking yeah, about. He's like, stop yeah. trying to do this. Stop yeah. it. That's a, actually a big integral moment in the investigation. So we'll definitely talk about that. So get excited. Uh, Sorry, I'm, I'm like skipping around. No, 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 please. So. He should be in jail. I wish that Josh Powell was alive and staring at a wall right now. I wish that more yeah, than death anything. Death is too easy for him. It's I, too I good agree. of an out. I very much agree. And I also, I'm I'm super not pro death penalty. I disagree with death penalty on every, and I believe it shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. But I do want him to be staring at a wall for the next 50 years. Yeah, hard labor. 
yeah, whatever, whatever they want to do to them, really. No, I don't think whatever. It's not whatever they want to do. But sometimes you can kind of fantasize about it. <laughs> um, so the main problem why they could never get that formal charge against him was that one, there was no body. And two, he would not confess and really showed no signs of cracking from his his story. We've learned in the course of the last couple decades, if you don't change your story, you can get away with a lot of shit. Yeah, have a simple story and stick to it. It's an issue within the criminal justice system, in my opinion. Um, part of how criminals are convicted is based on their ability to feel guilt because they have to... If there's especially in no body cases, they have to confess almost. It's really, really difficult the way it's set up now to charge them without a body. So it would take them trying to get Josh to say he's guilty in some way or another. And some criminals are not capable of feeling, and people, not all, it's not even criminals, just some people are incapable of feeling guilt. And in that case, they're kind of stuck up shit creek, you know, without a paddle. And so, that's what was happening at, at the time because they had, as we'll get into, so much circumstantial evidence, so much, like so much you feel like you want to rip your hair out because you can't understand why he was walking around on the street during it. But it's because of the way the laws are set up. Also, if you're like a woman who says this man or I was, you know, I don't taken advantage of by a man sexually. Um, if you mess up what you had for breakfast that day, your whole story is null, yep. Yep. null and void. And that's why a lot of people are like, why don't they just go to the cops? I'm like, well, they, women do. It's often just dismissed. I mean, guys too, guys who get assaulted famously get treated like not only are they emasculated, but, um, you know, going like, what do you mean? Guys don't get raped. That's crazy. Yeah. And they can, and they, they absolutely can, can. girlfriends can do bad things to them and other guys. I yeah. mean, yeah, it goes both ways. I, I do know a, a guy who was assaulted by a, a woman, oh. um, but uh, it happens for sure. I don't ever want to disregard any of that no. uh, for sure. But yeah, it's, it's really hard to prove certain things and that definitely sexual assault is one of them. No body cases are also really hard to deal with. There is a lot of movement uh, to try to change that right now. And I think, um, you know, Chuck and Judy Cox are doing a lot of work. I'll talk about trying to change some other laws. But um, so if anything, he definitely didn't show any guilt. We'll say that. If anything, he turned this investigation into a pity party for himself, even creating a website dedicated to slandering the West Valley police and Susan's parents under the guise of it being like a we're Susan Powell website, but it's just slandering everybody else. It's awful. So there was very few working on the case who didn't put Josh in the role of killer. And there, like I said, so much evidence to suggest it, but they couldn't lock him in. Um, So beyond trying to catch Josh in a lie, they worked to see who beyond him may have helped him commit this act. Early on, many suspected that old... Daddy Peepers, Steve Powell, may have had something to do with it. Not only did he have an unnatural obsession with Susan, Josh locked up the house and moved with the boys back up to Washington to live with his dad just weeks after her disappearance. So where they were living in Utah, typically if a person in your family goes missing, you don't leave the state from, you know, where they just went missing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Definitely a red flag. Um, I wish I had a little uh, like a morning DJ radio button sound effect. I could have red flag effect because they're going to be coming fast and furious here. Also, there's a lot of places to hide a body in Utah. I mean, there's rocks everywhere. Yeah, there's desert. Well, there's the abandoned mine system that that we'll talk about at the very end. Also just um, abandoned mines or also just uh, not seagulls. Uh, What are those big old buzzards? What do you call vultures? Vultures. I mean, I guess if you want to hide a body, just like do a sky funeral like they do in central China. What's a sky funeral? I think, uh, well, it's not vultures, but it's birds. They just eat you. Oh, God. Yeah. But I mean, they do it romantically, not like a hide the body. It's just like a ceremony. Oh, really? Celebrating life. That's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like hiding a body with vultures taking you. Yeah, if if you you choose choose it for your body, that's fun. Yeah. Well, I've never even heard of that. Okay, cool. Uh, (laughs) I'll make a, I'll put that in my notes for myself. Um, so (laughs) I guess just do a sky funeral when you die and then avoid a, um, $2,000 casket. There's a book that I read and I wish I could remember what it was called right now, but it's about funeral. Um, essentially in the U S there's big funeral is a thing and you have to adhere to certain standards. And a lot of them are, are, regulated by people who are making money off of the funeral industry. So even if you want your body buried in a more natural way, you have to, it's really difficult to do in America. I guess they want to make sure it's not like, you know, are you hiding a body or is that your wife that really died and you're giving a small ceremony? They, and there is some truth to that. And they do use that partly as a guise, but a lot of it is due to the Make amount of money they make from certain aspects of funerals. I know when my dad died, they were like, if you really loved him, you'd get the satin pillow. And I was like, get us the cheapest thing possible or we will take his body and put it in the car and go somewhere else. Seriously. What do you, what do you do? Ugh, whatever. I'm not going to, I, I don't want to judge how anybody buries their loved ones, but big funeral is a, a, a real thing. If you want to look into it. Oh yeah. Chapter one, Wafer welcomes you to the Waverhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love chapter two. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. The new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Games from the Virginia Lottery are here. The Scratcher gives you the chance to win up to $100,000. The online game gives you the chance to win up to $1 million. For more information, visit VALottery.com. Um, yeah, so Josh had moved up with his dad, and they really thought Steve maybe had helped conspire with him. However, journals that have been recovered since from Steve tell a different story. Um, Unless he was playing some kind of 40 chess in the chance that someone would find his journals, he genuinely suspected that Josh killed Susan. He writes in the days following her disappearance in his journals. I fear the worst. I think Susan is dead and Josh spent the 20 hour lacuna disposing her body far away. He had heard Josh's alibi for where he'd been when Susan disappeared, that he had taken the children on a midnight camping trip in the blizzard. That story, Stephen's journal was revealed, didn't make any more sense than to him than it did the police. In the last two weeks, Josh bought an oxyacetane lean welder, I believe is how you say that, and a rug doctor carpet cleaner. I have no clue why he might want a welder, but now I wonder if it was required for the process of mutilating or disintegrating her body. 
A welder. What is a welder again? It's like a, um, is it like a, and it cuts things? It it can cut or it can, it actually can weld steel to steel. So it's, it's like, yeah. Oh, like melts it together? Yeah, basically. Oh my God. I, I, I hope she was dead before he did any of that shit, but we'll never know. We won't. I think that there's a lot to suggest that she at least was unconscious. Okay. So that makes me happier. Yeah. She, I don't want her feeling any of this. Right. But he's also such a monster. It wouldn't surprise me. I think more than anything, it would have been a practicality thing of it causing too much Noise. attention. Yeah. And so he writes, Steve continues in his journal. I have no clue why he might want a welder, but now I wonder if it was, uh, okay, sorry guys. I wonder if it was required for the process of mutilating or disintegrating her body. I doubt Susan is alive and I doubt Josh's hands are clean. And then he goes on to say, years ago, I made up my mind that Josh was, of my kids, capable of such a thing. I want Josh to be with his boys, but I am also angry with him for murdering such a beautiful woman. That he could do such a thing once suggests that he could do it again. If things go too badly, he could murder the boys and hang himself. So these are the thoughts of Steve, his father. These journal entries also contain perverse and sick thoughts about Susan. And he seems preoccupied with the fact that her death was the most disgraceful because of how beautiful she was, not because his own son took the life of his partner. So in early 2010, Jennifer, just a month or so after Susan disappeared, asked if she could visit the boys at Steve's house and was surprised with an approval from the family. So as we said, Josh had already picked up and moved all of his stuff to his dad's house at this point, just less than a month after she went missing. So Jennifer has from day one been like, this is Josh. Josh did this. I don't yeah. want to believe that my brother did this, but he did. Yeah. And so she wants to go and see the boys. Um, what the Powells didn't know about this was that she was going with the intent to confront Josh and try to get a confession out of him which is so fucking badass considering she would have gone into the lion's den of her damaged and potentially dangerous family. Oh my God. Yeah. And just looking at her father's face, probably a lot of triggers that come oh, back. Yeah. She, she did everything she could to avoid him most of the time. Yeah. And yeah. you could just easily like manipulate her to be just like her sister and live there again. I think Jennifer would rather have walked into the ocean than do that. But I, I'm sure there's all kinds of fears related to her father and, yes. and what he was capable of. So she did this, though, which is incredible to me. And she had this idea. What if she could get it on record? So she took her proposal to the West Valley police and they signed off and they said, OK, we're going to wire you. They wired her up and there is easily accessible audio of this encounter. So go check it out if you're interested. However, as brave and awesome as she was, she couldn't get a peep out of Josh. And it resulted in a shouting match, her against her family which then culminated with Steve calling her a fucking bitch and throwing her out of his house. It's truly awful audio to hear, and it's extremely triggering to me. So that's a warning to you if you want to listen to it. Um, but I am extremely proud of Jennifer for trying at the risk of sounding condescending about it. Um, well, there's such narcissists and deeply delusional that I'm sure he, he just said, no, I didn't do it in his head. Well, when she's speaking to him, Josh, I, I don't, it's so hard to tell. I would wonder if, if you listened to some of the audio, what you would take, because 
I think that he feels sorry for himself personally and that he knows he did it, but he he can justify it in his head that he was the one, the suffering spouse. And, you know, it was kind of her fault anyway. And it was because like the, the kids were going, you know, I think he made a dozen excuses and Steve, his father, I think in my opinion, I think he knew Josh did it, but it was more important to him to keep his little call together and to protect himself more than, you know, all the other things that would be like, you know, reporting it to the police and helping yeah. the other people. Family's family. That's what they always say. Yeah. And he, uh, yeah. Um, this marks, however, the end of the Powell's playing nice, quote unquote, with who they began to view as the enemy, also known as the people trying to rightfully put Josh in prison. Yeah. So despite, you know, Steve having these feelings of suspicion about Josh, he became Josh's most ardent public defender. The Powell family was like a mini cult with Steve Powell at the head. And at his command, the family circled the wagons around Josh, them going so far as beginning to slander Susan in the news, calling her essentially a tramp and suggesting that she ran off with another man, which is absolute garbage. Oh my God. They're just trying to taint her name, do it all they, anything they can there. Yeah. There is not one shred of evidence to suggest this quite the opposite. In fact, and as much as they try to squeeze water from that rock, they have nothing to stand on with that. And it, nobody bought it. And to also try to disparage that beautiful, vivacious young mother after almost certainly bringing her harm themselves is almost another level. Uh, like, like, are you a human? Yeah, even? whatever it takes. Like, because it's self-preservation. So pathetic. Yeah, I'm not even going to discuss the accusation further because the pals can fuck right off. But you can read further about what they were saying, suggesting that happened, that she did. They refused to let Susan's parents also at this time have any of her belongings. And they also began to refuse to let Susan's parents, Chuck and Judy, see the kids either. And now Jennifer was on the shit list. I'm surprised the court just let him have the kids. Well, after all of this, like hoopla, I mean, after all of this, like her body's missing, there's the welder, there's no remorse. And then they're okay. They well, found blood in the house. They too. found blood in the house. And like, okay, I guess you get to have the kids. Well, yeah, here we'll get into that. And Chuck and Judy felt the same way for obvious reasons. They were also just devastated and they were immediately trying to see what they could do to get access to the boys because the boys also needed to see those, the family members. They were desperate to see their other family members and they just got, they just basically locked them up in Steve's house and wouldn't let them see anybody in the family except for his gross, um, Josh's gross siblings. Mm -hmm. So and, you know, Chuck and Judy's house and Jennifer's house was the most sane place those boys had ever been to. And not only now was their mother gone, but them most likely witnessing at least part of her murder. They were now trapped with these goblin people who were depriving them of even the smallest of normalcies in this time. Yeah. And they don't even know what's normal. They're just like, I guess this is normal. Yeah. He's walking around in a diaper. Yeah, for sure. But you do see, and it's really, really interesting in those young of boys, you do see the way that they're coping with things they can tell are wrong in different ways, in different ways of acting out. Because when you do experience child abuse at that age, your brain doesn't really process it in the same way. You just, you don't see it clearly the way you do now. So these kids were exploring it 
trying to tell people in different ways. Yeah, the the way that kids uh, try to express that kind of pain is really, you know, heart wrenching, and it, it's it's different than the way an adult would. And they were definitely trying to express their duress, and it wasn't enough, unfortunately. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up here this week. We will have one more. Susan episode, which will come out next week, and uh, then we'll be on our way to the next thing. If you or anyone you know who you love is experiencing some of the things that we're talking about on these episodes, just reach out to the hotline.org. It's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You can also uh, call 1-800-799-SAFE. And you can text START to 8878. You deserve better. And I hope that if you're in this position, that you are able to find your way out. And I believe in you. Peace. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood," she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love chapter two. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.